Uh, this year, we are in the book of Acts, verse by verse. We're in chapter 1, and as you know, Luke is writing to a man named Theophilus, but it, his name means to all who love God. So it's kind of a dual meaning there. <clears throat> and he's actually writing a history of the church, everything that happened after the resurrection. So the Gospel of Luke is about the life of Christ, and the book of Acts is about the effect of the life of Christ. Now this morning, we're going to watch as a small baby church, a new church in Jerusalem, as it does some house cleaning. And then we're going to watch as Peter makes a theological mistake. And um, we're going to learn something from that. So let's go, Lord, again in prayer. Father, we sure do need you. I need you. And I pray you'd help us as we hear your word and that you would speak to where we are. Um, Lord, don't let it go over our heads. Don't let it miss us. Help it uh, hit us right on the mark. And may we draw close to you, God. May we learn from uh, uh, from this chapter, from these things, about how far away we are from um, biblical Christianity. God, we want to be like that. And so I'm glad you are very faithful, very patient. And so, Lord, just just uh, see our hearts. And this morning, may we have every desire to get them right. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so when we come to Acts chapter 1 and verse 9, we, verse 9 and 10, look in Acts chapter 1, we, we see what's called the ascension of Jesus. Ascension means it's going up. So we're starting in verse 9. After he said verse 8, which is our memory verse, he comes to verse 9 and he says, and when he <clears throat> had spoken these things, while they beheld, while they were just looking at him, he was taken up. So he didn't just disappear. All of a sudden, he starts to go up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Now, we'll get to those two guys in just a minute. But the important thing is to understand Jesus, Jesus visibly starts to rise up, okay? Um, and every superhero always has this secret ability to fly or to do something. Well, Jesus had it here where he goes straight up, and they're just watching him. I mean, I don't think they breathe. Their mouth has dropped, and he's disappearing into a cloud. Now, remember that for later, okay? That cloud is going to come up again. I call this a slow rapture because there are, um, uh, there are more than just one rapture in the Bible. There's actually seven of them, and Jesus is one of them, the first one being Enoch when it says that he was caught up to be with the Lord. So Enoch you got Elijah. <clears throat> Here you got Jesus. We're next, folks. We're in the schedule. We're next. All right. So don't let anybody tell you there's no, no, uh, there's not a soon rapture of the Christians. We are next. Now, these disciples are stunned. I mean, it says there in verse 10, it says, while they look steadfastly toward heaven. I mean, they're like, and they're looking up into that sky, and they they just um they're they're just not able to take it in. It's like, what did we just see? They didn't expect it. Now, he said I was going to go away, but that's one way to go away. Amen. Would you agree? Just bye-bye, and up he goes, okay? So the particulars are Jesus goes up. Now, remember this. He's going up physically. He didn't just shimmer and then, you know, become pure light and then disappear. No, no, no. He goes up physically. He disappears into a cloud, or a cloud seems to, it says, receive him. So he goes up to a cloud, and it all happens on this little hill about a kilometer outside of Jerusalem called the Mount of Olives. It's just outside of the eastern gate of Jerusalem for reason. 
By the way, it says, as you stand up gazing into heaven, not just the sky, there are people who do look up into the sky all the time, all right? They're called astronomers, meteorologists, and all this stuff. <clears throat> but they're looking up into heaven. And don't let anybody rob you of the joy of knowing that's my home. There is still a heaven. And we, we've been robbed into thinking this is all there is to life, and it's not. Remember, it's going to be worth whatever we have to go through. That's our home. <clears throat> so all of this is to remind us that everything is going to happen in reverse when Jesus comes back. Look there in verse 11. It says, which also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, I like how he says that, that same person you saw just go up, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner, the same way as ye have seen him go into heaven. So everything's going to be in reverse. So the same Jesus that they had been with for three and a half years, the same Jesus that they had seen die on that cross, and then three days later, back alive, they had spent off and on for the last 40 days fellowshipping with, talking to, the same Jesus told you, well, the same Jesus is being told that he's coming in the same way he went up. What does that mean? He will come in the clouds. That's why I think Ireland's going to be first on his return path, amen? <laughs> Go to Matthew chapter 24. Go back to Matthew chapter 24. Two scriptures here. Matthew 24 in verse 30. Telescopes aren't going to see Jesus coming. Radar won't sense his arrival, okay? He's going to blast through a cloud at the last second. <laughs> And the whole world will see a flash of lightning blaze across the, across the sky from end to end as he returns. Matthew 24, 30, talking about the second coming of Christ. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming where? In the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Go to Revelation. So when he comes back, now how many saw him go? Only his disciples did, only his apostles. Um, but when he comes back, guess who's going to see him? Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7. <clears throat> Revelation 1, 7. Behold, he cometh with, there's our word. There's those clouds again. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail. This is not a good day. <laughs> they will be overwhelmed. And I like how John says, even so, amen, let it come. So he, the, so in, in reverse, I want you to see Jesus coming down physically. He will appear, bang, right out of the clouds. And he's not coming to the United Nations. He's not going to Wall Street or the High Street. He's going back to the Mount of Olives. Because that's right side of the eastern gate. As he blasts open the, 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 the eastern gate, he will head west. Uh, sorry, he will head east into a place called Armageddon. That's called Jesus' second coming. And when he comes in one day, every enemy shall be destroyed. That's his business. Armageddon, they make movies about it. They have no idea what they're trying to, to copy and trying to illustrate. You couldn't imagine how awful this day that Armageddon is going to be. Don't you wait to get saved because if you don't get saved soon, 
That is not the day to meet Jesus Christ. So, I found a picture. I thought, well, that's pretty cool. I don't know how it will look. I just know in a flash, he's coming back. I was showing um, little Claudia, uh, uh, um, Claudia this morning. And um, Chloe, sorry, my brain is, is on trying to connect this thing. I was showing to Chloe this morning in this picture. She said, who's that? What's that? Who's on the horses? Do I get to ride a horse? <laughs> and I said, yes to all of them. They're Jesus, and we're going to be behind him. And what a flash. I, 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 I can't tell you how exciting the future is for the Christian. Whatever you're going through, the valley of the shadow of death is nothing compared to what the future is going to behold. We're not going to do any fighting. We're just going to watch it, and we're going to enjoy the win. All right, so now we come back to verse 10. Go back to Acts chapter 1 and verse 10. And those angels ask a question. You've got two men appearing there right when Jesus disappears, two guys up here. <clears throat> there, back there in verse 10, and while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. I think it freaked them out, okay? It's <laughs> just like somebody's there that wasn't there just a moment ago. Which also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? Now, that's kind of, to me, that's a stupid question. Obviously, if I just saw Jesus go up, I'd be watching it. But they're saying, why are you watching that? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. What are they basically saying? They're saying, why are you still looking up? How long are you going to be looking up into that empty sky? He's coming back. Now, not this moment. So what are you supposed to be doing? So we find out in verse 12, they returned and they went back into Jerusalem. And that's very important because um, they needed to stop sky gazing and get busy doing what Jesus told them to do, which was go back into Jerusalem assemble there, wait there, and pray for the Holy Spirit power for them to live godly in this present age just like Jesus did. Let me make something really important. What was Jerusalem like towards Jesus? It was dangerous. They just killed him, didn't they? What was it like for the Christian to, to live in Jerusalem? It was dangerous. In Jerusalem, were the enemies of the gospel. And yet Jesus go right, said, go right back in there. That's my will for you, not to escape the enemy, not to stay safe, but to do the will of God right in the middle of your enemies. Go back in Jerusalem. That must have sort of shook them and assemble there. Don't assemble up in Galilee. Galilee was hometown. Galilee's all family was. Galilee was where? It was safe, so to speak. Now, I want you to assemble there. I want you to be a public testimony. We don't turn off the lights and close the shutter and let nobody know that we're here. Christians don't do that. There are some people who have to do that. But what a shame that, that Christians in a free society are afraid to gather and then wait there. That means that they're going to say, Lord, we're going to trust you that we're not going to die in Jerusalem. We're going to trust you. We're doing the will of God. We're going to wait and we're going to pray for power. So that's exactly what happens the first church. This is the first church as it assembles. Look down um, uh, there in, in um, verse 12. Let's go on. Go, and they re then returned they unto Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which was from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey, about a kilometer. And when they were come in, they went into an upper room 
where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon Zelotes, and Judas the brother of James, who's missing? Judas Iscariot. Now these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication and with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Now the first church assembles. Now the church already began in, in Matthew chapter 10 where Jesus called those 12 apostles and he started his church and he said, we're just two or three of you together. That's where I am with you. And that's where it began. But now the church is standing on its own. And without being pushed or without being pulled or without Jesus saying, let's do this or do that, they're doing what is right. And that's what a church does. We don't have to have a pope. We don't have to have a, uh, uh, an image. Uh, we don't have to have a bully. We don't have to have force. We have conviction. We know what Christ asked us to do. And that's the work of the church. They're meeting. And I want you to notice in verse 13, it says, and when they were come in, they went into a what? An upper room. Let's go back. They had a special meeting place. Why was that special? Do you remember why that was special to them? That was where they had the Lord's Supper. That was where Jesus said, with desire have I desired to have this with you. And, and he poured out his heart and he says, guys, we're, we're going in to tomorrow. We're going into such uh, darkness. Watch and pray. We're going to go pray and I need you to be ready for what's coming up. And it was so precious to them as as, as Jesus, the last time that they had with Jesus was in that upper room. And then since that time, they've been meeting regularly in that upper room. So back they go, it became a special meeting place. Was there anything holy about that room? Did it have icons and images? Did it have massive arches and, and, uh, and, and great um, uh, sound qualities? For No, it was just a place, but it was special, wasn't it? Their gathering together made it a special place. They regularly made it a special place. Um, and they had a few people. There in verse 13, they count up 11 apostles. And in 14, it says there was also some other women. And it was Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Jesus' brethren, which means his stepbrothers and sisters. So they might have had, well, what would you say, 15 to 20 people all together in that upper room. But wouldn't you say it was good that they were together? They assembled together. That means that they were in their places. Now, in the old days, we're talking 200 years ago, churches, uh, every seat was labeled with the name of the person who was supposed to be there, all right? That's what we do with school. You're usually assigned a seat, aren't you? And they say, oh, so-and-so's not in their place today. Are they sick? We notice they're missing. And when we assemble, every piece needs to be together. That's why the Bible uses more times the word assemble than it does the word gather. Because we fit together. We're supposed to be in place together. I need you. Hopefully you need me. We need each other. And they assemble together. And they had unity. Look in verse 14. These all continued with one what? It's not a Honda but in one accord. That, that means they, they were in agreement. They had a harmony of minds. They had a similar opinion and similar will. They had unity. What an important thing to have as a church. It, their, their, their unity was based upon their belief that Jesus was alive and that what the Bible said is true 
And they just, there was, there was no division among them. No complaining, no arguing. It was unity. In verse Back there in verse 4, what were they doing? Back there in verse 4, Jesus, the one who said, and being assembled together with them, this is going back to before he ascended. Verse 4, he commanded them they should not depart from Jerusalem. Don't go, but wait for the promise of the Father. Wait, which you have heard of me. Which saith he, you have heard of me. So they were waiting. They were waiting for something to happen. I wonder if you came to church and if I came to church saying, Lord, I wonder what's going to happen today. What are you going to do in my heart, in my life, in my family, in our church? I've come to wait on you to do something. Waiting's hard, isn't it? Sometimes you wait for years and you wonder, where did God go? Well, he's got his own timing, I found. But while they're waiting, they're not just twiddling their thumbs, they were praying. Back there in verse 14, these all continued with one accord in prayer. And I believe one of the reasons why our church is, is susceptible to a lot of demonic attack is because we're not together in prayer. A church that prays together really does stay together. A family that prays together stays together. You've got to understand why I put so much emphasis on Wednesday night prayer meeting, because that is what keeps us together, keeps us unified. You can't hate someone you pray for. Amen. It is so important that we pray. They weren't just twiddling their thumbs saying, I wonder what's going to happen. I wonder what's going to happen. I wonder. No, they're praying in their supplication. Supplication means they're begging. Turned out that they, they had to go about 10 days waiting. How, what would it be like if I said, all right, we're going to pray until the Lord does something? How long would you stay in the upper room? Let's call this our upper room, okay? How long would you stay saying, Lord, I'm just going to stay until something happens? It gets hard. I mean, to go 24 hours, 48 hours, 72 hours. You're like, man, I, I'm missing all my programs on TV. <laughs> I'm missing all my friends. I, it's hard. Well, they're struggling, but I like how they stay at it, okay? They're also growing. Look in verse 15. And in those days, so over a period of a couple of days, the prayer meeting turned into growth. It says, in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, and notice the parentheses, the number of names together now were about how many? There are 120. There were, the church was growing. That's pretty cool. Started with a group of 15 to 20, then they grew to 120. Believe me, in chapter Two, they're going to grow really big, aren't they? They're going to grow and add 3,000. All right, so that was church. I think this little upper room where it was comfortable for Jesus and his 12 disciples, and they added, you know, another five or 10, now has 120. Can you imagine how packed that would be? It's packed in here. When we have 120? I doubt the upper room was as big as this room. Would you understand? This was on top of somebody's house. This was a... Maybe it was an inn and it had this upper room. I bet they never had more than 50 people in there. And yet when you want to meet with other Christians, you don't care. And they packed in. And I've seen churches in Romania back before the, the uh, uh, Soviet curtain fell. And those little rooms that had a couch and a chair and, and a little table had 50 people in there. And the people in the other rooms crowding to get in to hear somebody teach the Bible loved it and they grew and they didn't mind the the problems that come with growth and then in verse 15 it says they had preaching again in those daters days peter stood up just like i am here in the midst of the disciples and he said and he starts 
to preach. Now, I'm going to get to what he preached in just a moment, but I want to review that and let you know that's church. You know, we're on our own, folks. Jesus is not physically here saying, do this, do that. He put it in his book and he says, you're on your own now. Do what I told you. We do have a special meeting place. Okay. Now, we all could just go over to Dennis's house next week. You know, that'd be a special meeting place, wouldn't it? You'd have to clean up before we got there. Think about it. We have a special meeting place. I think we need to protect this place and make it, keep it special. It's not just something that, oh, I'll go if I want to, or, oh, they, they'll do without me. No, no, this is a special place. We got a few people, don't we? We've got a few people here. We assemble together regularly, or at least we should. We should have unity. Check your heart and say, am I letting anything stop me from just loving the brethren and serving the brethren? We ought to be waiting for more of God's promises to be fulfilled in our lifetime. I want to see God do what he promised now, not 10 years from now or not 50 years earlier. And we need to be praying. I hope we're wanting to grow. I hope we want it. What would it be like? We've had a couple of funerals, man. Isn't it a shame we have more people at a funeral than at the resurrection? Think about it. What if we had to pack 400 people in here now? Don't think that we could. But what if we had to? I'd love it. I'd love the excitement of just growing. And we don't just have fellowship. I like the fellowship. I like the singing. I love the music. But man, the focus of, of, of getting together is preaching. And that makes a pretty good church, I think. So now we come to verse 16 and we come up to Peter makes a rushed Bible study into a message. I want you to see in verse 16. Men and brethren, I'm going to read all the way down to verse 26, <clears throat> and then we'll come back and make some comments. Men and brethren, this is Peter preaching. This scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. He's referring to his betrayal. For he was numbered with us. He was part of the 12 apostles. He's numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. He had all the miracles. He had um, uh, the call. He was an apostle. He had a part of this ministry. Now, this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity. He's, we'll talk about that in a moment. And falling headlong into that field, he burst asunder. What a way to talk, amen? He burst asunder, split open in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. It's good preaching on Sunday morning, amen? <laughs> Verse 19, it was known unto all the dwellers of Jerusalem in so much that that field, as that field is called now in their proper tongue, a seldoma, that is to say, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein. And his bishopric, his apostleship, let another take. And then he goes on, but we, oh yeah, let me read on. Verse 21, wherefore, of these men which have companied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the same day that he was taken up from us, which one of these must be ordained, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection? And they appointed two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed. And said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship, 
from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. So just Peter preached. Where does he go to? He preached from the Bible. But he got a little ahead of God in his application. He was not wrong about what he was preaching. His timing was wrong. Now, you would understand there are supposed to be 12 apostles. Yes or no? Yes. Now there are only 11. So Peter starts adding up. All right, there's 11, but we're supposed to be 12. Ah, we need another one. And he thought he knew how God wanted Jesus replaced. Um, but he was wrong. And I'm going to say this. Don't misunderstand. Apostles are not perfect. Only Jesus is perfect. I was encouraging myself this morning. I don't have to be perfect because Jesus, he had to be perfect. That makes it not so hard on me. Amen. So I can flub up. I can make mistakes. Peter can make mistakes. And the Lord keeps going on. Amen. So only the Bible is right. Because it's inspired by God. Now let's go back and let's deal with Judas there for a moment. Verse 16, it says, men and brethren, the scripture must needs have been fulfilled. Which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained part of this ministry. Now go down to verse 20. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate. Let no man dwell therein, his home. Don't anybody dwell there anymore in his bishopric. Let another take. Now, would you say suicide can affect people? Goodness. It affects a family. It certainly affects a church as well. So Peter, dealing with this suicide of, his, of one of the own apostles, he says, how are we going to deal with this scripturally, prayerfully? Christians are supposed to be strong enough to look to God and look to his word when things are hard. Don't forget that because times do get hard. So I want you to go to Psalm 109. I want you to see where uh, Peter is, is quoting Psalm 109. Verse 6. The whole chapter is about Jesus being rejected and, and hated by Judas. Acts, I'm sorry, um, Psalm 109, verse 6. So the prophecy says, set thou a wicked man over him, make a ruler over this creature, which turns out to be the devil, and let Satan stand at his right hand. When he shall be judged, let him be condemned and let his prayer become sin. Let his days be few. That's the implication. Let him die early, which implies suicide. And let another take his office. Let someone else take his office. So that's what Peter is quoting from. Go to Psalm 55. Now. What kind of people would be like Judas? I mean, certainly everybody that would betray Jesus would, would you know, be hunched back and would be evil looking and would drool and would gar, you know, snarl. That's not, that's not how you know your enemies. Look at Psalm 55 and verse 12. Psalm 55 and verse 12, for it was not an enemy that reproached me, that made fun of me, that I could... Then I could have borne it. You know, if your enemy's angry at you, you could have sort of go, okay. <laughs> Neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me. Then I would have hid myself from him. I just would have avoided him, verse 13. But it was thou, a man mine equal, my guide, and my acquaintance, if to say my friend, 
we took sweet counsel together and walked into the house of God in company. So let death seize upon them, anybody who's like this, and let them go down quick into hell for wickedness is in their dwellings and among them. Strong words. Now let's go back to Matthew chapter 27 and let's see how, Ma how Judas dies. Matthew chapter 27, verse 3. Some people see this as a contradiction, but it just gives one part of the information and another part. You put them together, you get the whole picture. Look at Matthew 27, verse 3. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, that Jesus was condemned, he repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. So who's he repenting to? The wrong people. He's trying to repent to the Pharisees and to the high priest. Verse 4, he says, I have sinned. Hey, who do you need to tell your sins to? God. But he's talking it to some priest. I have sinned and then I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See thou, see thou to that. You take care of it. And so he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and he departed and he went and he hanged himself. Now, the chief priest took those silver pieces and said, it is not lawful for us to put that back into the treasury because it's a price of blood. Somebody died, at the, at, at, uh, Jesus did, and now Judas did. So they took counsel and they bought with those pieces of silver the potter's field to bury strangers in. Wherefore, the field was called the field of blood until this day. And then was fulfilled that which was uh, spoken by Jeremy the prophet saying, and they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued, whom they of the children of Israel did value and gave them to the potter for the potter's field as the Lord appointed me. So it's all put out there where um, Judas gets 30 pieces of silver, gets remorse over it because he comes to realize I, I, I'm, I'm an accessory to murder. Uh, I, I just put somebody, I didn't just put him in jail. I didn't just try to teach him a lesson. He ended up dead and he feels guilty and he can't find repentance, throws the silver down and he goes and he hangs himself. Now go to Acts chapter one and look at one more detail here. Because I think this tells you a little bit about Judas. Um, it's very hard, if I can speak candidly, it's very hard to kill yourself. And it ought to be. So here's Judas trying to do it delicately. He's, he looks over a, a ravine that actually turns out, uh, ultimately becomes the field of blood. And he finds a branch and he throws a rope over and he tries to kill himself, not knowing the branch is weak and it snaps. Look at uh, verse 18. Now this man purchased a field with the, with the reward of iniquity. He ends up purchasing it and falling headlong. So evidently he tries to hang himself and he ends up falling and he bursts apart when he hits the bottom and all his bowels gush out. What a way to die. I think he hoped that it would just be a painless, simple, just snap of the neck. You know what? When you, can you imagine guilt and the end of that guilt? The Bible says the sorrow of this world it becomes death. Man, every bit of guilt I have, I go to the Lord and it's gone because he forgives. So here's, here's Peter saying, this was Judas. Now, 
Peter goes on and he says, you know, now that he's gone, let's replace him. And uh, there needed to be a replacement. Verse 20, Acts 1 and verse 20, he says, For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate, let no man dwell therein, for his, and his bishopric, his apostleship, let another take. So Peter was like a lot of churches today. They see the scripture, and with little thought or study, they'll run with it. They'll come to a, a wrong conclusion. Ah, apostolic succession. We need to keep this going. The Catholic Church is very good at it because <laughs> they believe that all that their bishops are the replacements for all the apostles. That's why they call them bishops. The popes are all successors of the head apostle, head of the apostles, Peter. But it's a made-up doctrine not found in the Bible. This is not the beginning of a process that anytime someone dies, you replace them. That is wrong. How many apostles are there supposed to be? Twelve. And when those 12 were done, Peter, I'm sorry, uh, Judas never qualified truly as an apostle. Why? Jesus said, one of you is a, one of you not even saved. So he's going to be replaced. And then when the apostles finished, that's the end of that age. <clears throat> but um, uh, Peter got it wrong here. Look in verse 22. Peter comes up with some qualifications. He says, well, go to verse 21. Wherefore of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John, unto the same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. So he comes up with some, you'd say, reasonable expectations. We need a true disciple who's been with us all the way from the beginning. And two men met those qualifications. Uh, one guy is named um, Joseph called Bersabbas. And the other guy's named Matthias. These men were probably of the 70 that Jesus had, had called. And they would go out. But you had the 12 and then you had the 70 of the other normal disciples. But this is a blow. All right? This is a crazy thing that Peter does. He uses a lottery to choose which one. Is that how you decide the will of God? Lord, there are these two guys that like me. And I want to know which one I should marry. So I'm going to go into the matchbox, and I'm going to pull out two, and I'm going to break one of them in half, and I'm going to pull out one of them. Whichever one is the longer one will be the one I marry. Is that how you should do it? That's called a lottery. Look at your Bible. <clears throat> Verse 20, um, 24. Now, Peter prays. Great. He says, Lord, you know which one you've chosen. I'm limiting you to two. <laughs> Verse 26. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias. And he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Uh, so, yes, G Judas needed to be replaced, but Peter didn't think he could leave it to Jesus to replace him. There are some things you think, oh, God, I need to do this. Maybe you don't. You better pray about it because you can get involved and go too far. And say, I guess I've got to do this. No, you don't. God's already at work because I want to show you uh, wrong Bible study leads to much confusion. Guess who Peter called? The wrong guy. Peter forgot one big qualification. You know what the big qualification for being an apostle was? Jesus calling him. Jesus personally said, Peter, Andrew, 
Bartholomew, Nathaniel, um, uh, Thomas. He personally, and Peter says, well, I guess I got to do it. You see the problem? Now, it didn't destroy the church. As a matter of fact, the Lord let it happen and things went on. But I want you to understand, Jesus was going to call Paul. And because of Peter's wrong application of a Bible truth to the wrong time and leaving Jesus out of it and just trying to do it for himself, it made it so Paul, everywhere he went, people says, you can't be an apostle. Matthias is the 12th. So you'll find in all of Paul's epistles, he says, I am an apostle. Because people go, oh, he can't be. So he's constantly having to prove, yes, I am. Jesus called me. Jesus empowered me. And he said, truly, the signs of an apostle were done by me. So wrong doctrine can lead to much confusion and damage. To this day, the Catholic Church believes that their popes are successors to Peter because of this. Modern charismatic Christians still allow their men and women to call themselves apostles. Folks, there are no more apostles. There were only 12. There were only just pastors, teachers, and evangelists. If only Peter had not been impatient, okay? Now, I'm not finding fault with him. That's not already fault with me, too. So I'm going to say something, and I'll get right to this. So many Christians right now, to this day, are isolating themselves from everyone because of stupid YouTube teachings. They live in fear. There is scaremongering going on that is ruining the hearts and minds of Christians. So they can't even meet with other Christians. They go, I've got to just... I've got my own little doctrine and everybody else has theirs and they're isolating themselves and they're violating the scriptures says assemble and love. Folks, let me tell you, not every Bible teacher is trustworthy. You can get guidance. You can learn a lot of stuff. People do learn a lot of stuff. You, people can help you search the scriptures and pray with you, but it's up to you to test what you hear. Not everything that people teach is actually what the Bible is saying. I have never, there is a group out there, and I don't mean to even say this knowing that somebody's going to go look it up. There's a group of people out there saying that God in heaven doesn't know what's happening tomorrow. He's waiting to see what happens. There's a theological term for it. Don't worry about it. But there are people who are, oh, that's cool. And they have YouTubes by the, out the wazoo about God doesn't know what's actually coming up in the future. Is that the God you think is in the Bible? Just because somebody's got a really well-presented YouTube does not mean that they're right. Test everything. It really, really, a God who doesn't know tomorrow? <laughs> Be very skeptical of everything you hear me say or what anybody teaches. Even Peter made a theological mistake when he thought he had the decide the, the, to decide the will of God. I have people ask me, say, what do you think the will of God is for me? And I'll go, I do not know. I can show you how to find out the will of God yourself, but I'm not going to tell you. Even Jesus said, search the scriptures, test what I say. Paul said, search the scriptures, make sure what I'm saying is biblical. Don't be so easily deceived. There's one group that ought to be standing out from all of the stuff going on now with media, and that is Christians who say, we're not buying into that stuff because it is like a, is like a whirlpool of change. Two years ago, remember what they were predicting and what they were saying? Every two weeks it changes, folks. Don't buy it. Don't buy it. People are so easily deceived. 
Don't be so rushed to come to conclusions. Just be thorough and cautious and patient in your study. I'm told, why don't you preach on this, Pastor? Why don't you teach about that? And I'm very cautious. I go, you know what? People, people want just flash and they want <clears throat> fast facts and, and headlines and they don't want careful, steady. If you want to learn stuff, come here every week. Come on Wednesday night. We go verse by verse and we learn because there's so much abuse in Christianity and in the Bible. So be very careful. But the ascension, go back to that thought that we started with. The ascension of Jesus Christ thrills every Christian. Why? Because Christianity is not over. Uh, we're still here. That's a good thing. We've got a job to do. Uh, Jesus is coming again. It's not over yet. And he won't be mocked this time. He's not going to be crucified when he returns a second time, is he? What should we be doing until Jesus returns? Keep this meeting place special. This is our upper room. Let's assemble together. Let's not just say, oh, that's my church, and you don't come. <laughs> it doesn't work. Let's protect and develop biblical unity where what the Bible says, that's our standard. What I'd like is for us to get to where we start Focus on, all right, these are the promises of God. And that, that promise in Acts 1-8 ought to be thrilling us where we realize, I want the promise of the Father myself. I, I want whatever promise God has for us to be real here, not, not somewhere else. I want it in Ireland, and I want it in my life. But it takes prayer. We can't just twiddle our thumbs. We can't just sit at home watch Netflix. We've got to pray because we need help to live godly in this, in this dark day. Um, let's, let's grow. You know how we grow? You say, Pastor, aren't you out soul Aren't you handing out tracts? Yeah, but you know how we grow? If you do. If you invite somebody. You know people who need an invite. Let's grow. Let's focus on preaching. Say, preaching is uncomfortable, Pastor. Yeah, I know it's uncomfortable. I don't like it because it rose me the wrong way too. But it's exactly what is needed. And even if I flub up, you got a Bible that helped go, uh, all right. Amen, Pastor. I'll just pray for you more. <laughs> Focus on preaching. I think we'll have a pretty good church. But don't let people's confusion about things in the Bible stop you from crying out to Jesus Christ right now to save you. Because there is a lot of confusion. There's wackos in all kinds of different directions of the spectrum. But that doesn't mean that the clear part that Jesus died and buried and rose again for sinners, that's clear enough for you to realize you need to run to him right now. And if you never know anything else, you ought to know he loves you and he wants you. And he'd like to save you today. You're a lawbreaker and you're in trouble with God and he made a way for you to be forgiven. If you stand with me and bow your, bow your heads, you can respond to the gospel invitation right now that Christ offers everyone. You can do it right now. Believe and trust in him to forgive you. And no, it's not a church that saves. Peter couldn't save anybody. He makes mistakes sometimes where Paul has to go and rebuke him. Peter admits there are things that Paul preaches that are hard to understand. Christianity is not what you look at. Christ is. And if he means anything to you, run to him. Christian, in this day and age, it was, it was so similar back in the first century. There was no culture that protected Christianity in those apostles' day. They were sitting in Jerusalem at a time 
when everybody had thought that Jesus was dead and gone and they wanted nothing to do with Christ. But when the power came upon the disciples and those Christians in that upper room, 120 of them, they began the war that has won the world time after time if we just go with the gospel. So, Lord, in this time, we thank you <clears throat> for showing us the reality of that first church because it's the reality of our church. We don't have to have perfection. We have a perfect Bible. We just need to be careful. Lord, there are Judases. There are people who are frauds or fakers who have all the things on the outside, but they have nothing on the inside. They've never had their guilt and their sin washed away. And I fear that this world is going to ruin more and more lives. We've already seen it throughout these last two years. People locked in and locked up and locked down. They lose their hope. They lose any kind of focus. God, suicide has picked up, and they don't want to talk about it. Well, we'll talk about it. Because there's one way out, and that's Jesus Christ. There's one way for anybody to be able to have every bit of sin and shame and guilt taken away. And that's because of the cross. So, Lord, would you please remind us you're coming back. You'll make everything wrong, right. You'll fix everything. But that'll be too late if we wait. You want to fix what's wrong in us now. Give us a zeal and a desire as this church is going to have in this next chapter when they have waited enough and it was the right time and the Holy Spirit of God shows up, God. <clears throat> Lord, we, need, we don't need to speak in tongues, but we need the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't need the miracle of being able to raise the dead. We need souls saved. And it all comes from the Holy Spirit of God filling us. So may we yearn for that, pray for that, and wait for that. In Jesus' name, amen.